0: empower people with not just the philosophical tools, but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship Alliance of Liberty podcast, your weekly
1: dose of education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds of the Liberty movement.
0: If you want the Liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. Your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats, and welcome to, uh, I guess, what I'm calling the end of an era of sorts. Uh, What I'll be doing is somewhat soft relaunching this show. Starting next week, when I have an amazing guest for you, Del Big Tree will be on this show. In fact, he was already on this show by the time this thing aired for our patrons, our members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, as well as our supporters on Locals. So you can check either of those out, Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, or Locals at Lions of They got to see this interview live, uh, but the rest of you will get it next week. Uh, before we get into today's episode though, I want to tell you about a great sponsor of ours, a good friend of mine who I've been, whose show I have been on. His name is Jim Duncan. He's an author and he is now a podcaster as well. I was a guest last year on his show, The Independent Riot, and he covers fascinating topics like the deep state, the history of the CIA, Chinese surveillance, and organ harvesting. The Independent Riot is basically like Alex Jones, but with mm, a little more thinking, a little less screaming, you might say. But Jim does a really great job. Again, I was on his show uh, last year and I really highly encourage you to check it out the independent riot you can find it on YouTube. I will also uh, as well as podcatchers and I will link to it in today's show notes which you can find over at lionsofliberty.com And now we're gonna get into today's episode like I said sort of wrapping up this, what I might call the first era, Lions of Liberty 1.0. And I I think it's really fitting that we're doing this because uh, I had on today a couple people, Jennings Wright, as well as my friend Mikkel Thorpe, who was just on a few weeks ago to talk about a project they've worked on uh, together. Jennings really started this project several years ago, and then Mikkel recently joined the board. Uh, But this is just a great example of how people can make a difference outside of government, Uh, quite literally, completely without government help at all. very very affordably it really um very similarly to how Greg Glier, uh the who's uh, the head of donorcy has been on the show several times how they're able to make such a huge difference on, with so little money. You can't even comprehend how much difference you can make with just three or four dollars. It's really crazy. So I, I really wanted to uh, wrap things up by bringing you just really a great story uh, about a great organization, 1018. So you're going to learn more about that today and then, well, we'll see you next week for a brand new era. Let's start this thing, shall we? <laughs> Today, we're going to be looking at a very special project that I'm very excited to, to speak with you about and to bring on two other people to speak with you about. Uh, first up, you've seen him before. You've heard him before. He's been around the block on Lions a couple of times. His name is Mikhail Thorup. He is the host of the Expat Money Show, author of the number one best selling book, Expat Secrets. He is, of course, an expat himself, having left his country of Canada more than 20 years ago. And in the past year, he's become very involved in the project that we will be discussing today. So I'm very pleased to welcome back once again, Mikhail Thorup. Mikhail, are you ready to roar roar there we go
2: now we're, <laughs> I think we're after finally five the times of being on the show i ought to give it a go so i i there think so <laughs> I,
0: I think you did a, a a mighty good job i think you got inspired by michael strong a few weeks ago It sounds like very good very good okay and uh next up she is the founder of 1018.org a nonprofit organization that works with teen moms in the slums of uganda amongst Many other projects. Uh, I'm very pleased to welcome for the first time Miss Jennings Wright. Jennings, are you ready to roar?
1: Absolutely, but I'm not going to roar. <laughs>
0: okay, well, maybe by your fifth time on the show, yeah, you'll, like, you'll build up the courage, you know. Okay. Lions have courage. That's the thing. That's what we that's what we promote here. But Jennings, uh, I'm going to start with you. Mikkel has told his story many times on this show, so we don't need to recap it it's as as early as a few weeks ago, actually, yeah. as recent as a few weeks ago, I should say. So Jennings, we're going to go start off right with your story. Um, and you, like Mikkel, are, are an expat as well. So maybe we can just start a, with a little bit about how you first became an expat, why you left the United States, how you ended up in Africa and Uganda specifically, and we'll just kind of see where things go from there.
1: Okay. Well, I actually am in the states now. We lived in in Nicaragua. Uh, that was where we were expatting. If that's a if that's a verb, um, we had a hotel in Nicaragua in San Juan del Sur and had that for a couple of years. Um, I lived in in Guatemala as a child. My dad was down there working uh, with a citrus factory, and um, I have not lived in Uganda, but I've spent over a years worth of time in Uganda.
0: So that is and my how, expat story. So you, so you were basically like sort of expatting from a very young age. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, like how, how do you think that changed your perspective just on the world, on, um, on dealing with people? How did your perspective of spending so much time when you were younger, like in a place like Guatemala, which is very different than the United States, I, I would say. I spent a little bit of time there. Um, like, How do you think that changed your perspective just on life in general?
1: Um, I think it's interesting because I've asked my adult kids this, too, because they've spent so much time in Uganda. My son lived in Tanzania. And I think you it just clarifies what the world is like in a way that being here all the time and reading or watching TV or a movie doesn't do. For instance, we hear, you know, about food deserts in the United States and okay you know I understand there are people there hungry but if you live in andros in the bahamas or places in guatemala or nicaragua or uganda <laughs> you don't think we have food deserts here you know so it's just the kind of thing that you hear something and it you have perspective on things that you don't have if you live only ever here you know we lived in in I'm I'm older than you guys. We lived in Guatemala during the Civil War. And literally, my dad would come into my room and I would be on the balcony talking to guys with machine guns on the other side who were guarding that compound. My little Florida girl, you know, 10 years old, that just changes your perspective on things.
0: Yeah, I would imagine most kids in the U.S., no matter how, uh, what kind of neighborhood they might have grown up in, even if there was violence in the neighborhood, they probably weren't growing up in the middle of a Civil War. So that is certainly a different perspective for sure. Uh, And and I'm sure that sort of uh, helped mold your attitude, I guess, uh, going into Africa and and seeing the conditions there. I imagine you could probably relate to them a lot better that way. So maybe you can get a little more into how you ended up working with uh, these charities in Uganda uh, and what really opened your eyes to the situation in that area area specifically and why you got involved in charity work there?
1: Well, I uh, reconnected with actually the wife of the pastor that married us on Facebook over the holidays in 2008, and they were living in Uganda. And I had just coincidentally started a nonprofit um, in December, I mean, this was later December. So she asked me, she said, Hey, you know, we're working with this uh, women's organization in the slum. Could you rent them an office building? And I'm thinking, I have this tiny little amount of money. What do you mean rent that? And she said, Oh, and you have to pay a whole year. Right. So I'm like, Okay. Well, it was like $1,400 to rent this building for the year. For the year. Wow. Wow. And so my daughter actually ended up going over in May. To visit because they had grown up, her daughter and my daughter grew up together. And then my son and I went in September. And by the time we got up, actually within about a day off the plane, we were like, this is what we're doing. It just, Uganda is amazing. It captures your heart. Um, you know, it's just really. Um, The need is really huge, but I'm a very black and white person. So when someone says, if, if I do this thing, it actually saves someone's life that clicks for me versus here where I give somebody some money and they get some cans of food, but they're not like going to die most of the time. You know, it just, it, it just, the compassion part met the problem solving part and worked for me.
0: All right. So we're going to dive a little bit more into the specifics of the work uh, you're doing there in Uganda. But, but before we do, I want to bring in Mikkel here. And um, because I, I, I'll be honest, when when I heard that you were getting not just doing an interview about this charity, but then not that long afterwards became a part of the board, I, I was kind of surprised knowing having known you for many years and knowing you were traditionally, I would say, pretty skeptical of, of traditional charities or even the concept of charity in general um, versus entrepreneurship, which is more what you have been promoting for many years and what you still do prom- Uh, primarily uh so i i I say i'm curious but a little behind the scenes i get to see your interviews before they air um so i kind of saw um some of the emotional ways that uh jennings speaking about her projects was was affecting you uh but maybe you can just elaborate on what it was about um jennings and her project that really moved you so much when you she had her on your when you had her on your show at the expat money show
2: perfect so Yeah, I would say I was very skeptical. I mean, I've been traveling for 20 some odd years now, and I've definitely seen poverty. I've traveled extensively through third world, quote unquote, third world countries and developing nations, seen a lot of these things firsthand, but was always of the mindset that, you know, if I support these types of things that I'm encouraging behavior of begging or, you know, that. If I saw kids on the street and they were asking for money for food, then that is a reason that they would not be doing something else like going to school or, you know, actually working or contributing and things like this. So I guess I was a little bit cold hearted in a lot of these ways, but these were my skepticisms and and I'm not saying that I never did anything. I, I certainly did. I gave a lot of time. Um, I would do other small things, but I never got involved like I am today. But um, last year, I had Jennings on my program, and we met through um, some type of podcast directory. And I quickly read her bio, and was an expat in Nicaragua, and I was building a nonprofit in Uganda. And I was like, "Oh, this will be pretty interesting." You know, I thought I'll I'll have her on to talk about what is it like to build a nonprofit. You know, for me, it's it's just another type of business. Um, so I wanted to see how that worked, the logistics, the laws, all of these types of things. We'll mark- You're
0: thinking in such a such a Mikel Thorup way on that one. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, all right,
2: how's the legal stuff going down?
0: How's the tax yeah, situation how the taxes working? Does but- <laughs> this work? What
2: are the what are the benefits from the tax situation and everything <laughs> like that? So I had Jennings on, and um, I had to stop about five times throughout the interview because I was literally crying. Um it was really tough on me. First of all, I've, i I know Uganda. I've been there. I first went there, I want to say, in about 2012 or 2013 and it is a really special place like when jenning says that she's right it is a very very special place the people are amazing like the the warmth that comes through from the ugandan people is something that's really unique now they're not in your face they're not loud and boisterous like some of the other neighboring countries but the people that are there are very genuine and even though if they don't have a lot they'll always offer to you. They'll they'll invite you into the home. They'll sit down with you. It's it's really special. So when I started learning about what was happening in in Uganda since I left and more specifically since the lockdowns of COVID happened, I was just floored. I couldn't believe what was going on. So anyways, fast forward we we did the interview. I had to pause three or four times to compose myself. You might not even see if you listen to the interviewer, watch it on YouTube now. How distraught I was afterwards. Uh, some of the to emotion it made, it, made it.
0: Yeah, some of that emotion made it on air, but I, I think you know, having seen the raw video, like a lot of it didn't, because you know you can't have twenty minutes of Mikel crying. Yeah, you don't need to see Mikel
2: <laughs> cry. That's not. That's not a pretty. That's for your wife only to see yeah. that. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, I, I did. I spoke to my wife that night, and I sat down and I talked with her, and explain what we had discussed and and we decided that we wanted to get involved we're quite well to do so we're in a fortunate position that we we could (coughs) participate so we started small i mean i i reached back out to jennings and i said you know Um, I'd like to send this out to my list. I'd like to promote it. And I became uh, a monthly donor. And then Jennings started sending me some other projects that they were working on. And I was like, okay, I think I'll get involved in this and I'll get involved in that. And then Mark, you actually introduced me to Gret Mm Glier, And I had Gret on the show and was really impressed with him as well in the work that he was doing at DonorSea. He's one and of the more impressive
0: to, humans I've ever encountered, to be honest.
2: Legitimately, like yeah. what an amazing, amazing individual and got along really well with him. And after that interview, I told him about this project called 1018 in Uganda that I was starting to get to know and starting to work with and told him all about it. And he was super excited and asked for an introduction. So made the introduction and Ten eighteen and donor C has now started to do a lot of work together, so you know that came from you, Mark, from the introduction that you made and um piece by piece, month by month, I just started doing more, and the more that I learned, the more that I wanted to do and the more that I contribute and then you know you start to see the difference this is not a project where it's like you just throw money into a black hole and you don't know if it ever helps anyone, if it ever affects anyone, no like you. You really get to see where your money goes, who it helps. And more than that, like you get to talk to the people involved and see videos and thank yous. And, you know, Jennings has sent me videos of my donations of an entire <laughs> like, table full of food that it's going to buy to support the family for a month. And it's not like, oh, one person. I mean, Jennings, you were showing me some of the videos and it was like, like a pretty informal orphanage of this mama who had taken on half a dozen kids and all these babies and basically couldn't even feed herself because her heart is so big she's now opened it up to bring in all these kids who don't have mm. families i was like oh my god like i just i didn't know what to do so i just start talking about it and 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 giving and and participating and and i Earlier um, or late last year, Jennings honoured me and, and she asked me to sit up, uh, stand up and sit on the board of directors. And and I absolutely jumped at the opportunity. And I guess that's kind of where we are now is, you know, trying to bring awareness, trying to talk about the project and what we're doing and and why we are so different, which is something that I think Jennings should definitely speak about. Um, but, yeah, it's been an amazing experience. Absolutely.
0: Right, so I'll toss it back to Jennings then to delve into. Well, maybe before we get into the specifics of the work you're doing, maybe you could just give a little more background on the situation in Uganda, and maybe like you know, I think people had this this idea about Africa is like, oh yeah, Africa, it's over there, and there's poor people, without really understanding the difference between maybe how the situation is in Uganda versus Kenya versus Rwanda (laughs) or whatever. So, what really makes Uganda unique and about the situation there? Maybe you can give some of the political history, the political background, and so like so so. People can really understand the context of the situation that the people that you're helping are in.
1: Okay, so Uganda was colonized by the British um, when they also had Kenya, and they basically used Uganda as their breadbasket. So they went into Kenya, they built cities, they built pretty decent infrastructure, but Uganda was the plantation. And so they really didn't do very much development in Uganda part of that's good and part of that's bad. Um, Unfortunately, like most African countries, um, they, Idi Amin came, I mean, you know, Zimbabwe, all these places end up with dictators for whatever geopolitical reasons. Um, But Idi Amin came, the British had let it go and Uganda suffered 250 to 300,000 people were killed under Idi Amin. Uh, It was a really, really terrible time. And there's still a lot of scars from that. So the current president Museveni was elected not right after Idi Amin, mean, but the next one. Um, it was a bow day be- between, and he's been president ever since. He keeps getting elected. He keeps being 75. I mean, literally, since I've been going to Uganda, he's 75. So I, I'm not really <laughs> sure how that works. Um, they don't just
0: they don't just fudge the vote totals, but they fudge, fudge like yeah. even their own age. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So um, and, you know, it's one of these for Africa, so bad for pretty much everywhere else. He's terrible. Um, the, The lockdowns happened during the first lockdown last year happened during an election cycle. The election was actually in January and they were, so everybody was locked down, but then they were beating people up saying that they were breaking COVID lockdowns to campaign for the guy who really won. Um, They did house arrest for that guy because of COVID. So, um, you know, it, Uganda is 65%, 18 years old and under, Think about that. Sixty-five wow. percent of the population is eighteen and under. <laughs> there are no adults in the room. Like so, is that is, is that some, kind
0: of um, is that from a combination of like a high birth rate, but also like a, a a very early death rate?
1: So you have think about an hourglass. You have these people up here that are elderly, and you have these people down here that are eighteen and under, and you've lost this middle group um, from to AIDS and almost exclusively and then various sexually transmitted diseases that turn into cancer like cervical cancer prostate cancer things like that because of stds so you you know you've got these old men like ms 70 who's only 75 he's only 75 but he's you know up here and then all these kids so bobby wine who was running against him is 36 he grew up in the slum he's a he's this rap superstar and they just did everything they could to make sure he didn't win. Um, I think he's still under house arrest. The election was in January. I think he got his wife and kids got out. So anyway, the political situation not great. Um, there is no free school, no you know, they don't have the Kampala Unified School District or anything. Um, you just have a bunch of schools you have to pay school fees to go, even if you don't pay tuition. So you have to pay for uniforms, testing fees. You have to bring a certain number of paper towels and brooms and towels and and school supplies and all of this. And this is way out of reach of more than half of Ugandans and even more since the lockdown. So you've got a vastly illiterate, huge population of young people with basically no adults. You know, I mean, think of your worst teenage nightmare party where your parents were freaking out because what you were doing. It's the whole country. I mean, <laughs> the whole country's like that. Oh.
2: Lord and of the um, flies, but they don't know how to read or write. Or right. Provide. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. One, there's a couple aspects I want to kind of hone in on here. Uh One, I think, I think there might be a lot of libertarians listening, you know, you know, uh, hearing about the schools and, and that sort of thing and thinking, well, great. Screw, screw the schools. They shouldn't be in these, these crappy schools anyway. They can go homeschool or something. But again, this is, this is a very different situation. Um, so maybe you can just address like the importance of the school to, okay other aspects of life besides just learning uh, because they're they, you know, these kids don't have the same kind of options that e- right. that any kids that we can comprehend will that so they can just go home and have lunch at home and, and learn at home. Like that is a completely different situation there.
1: Right. And I homeschooled my kids for 13 years. So I totally am on with homeschooling, right. but first of all, truly, all the parents and grandparents are illiterate. So who's going to teach you, right? Secondly, um, You've got, Uganda has very few cities. Kampala's big and crazy. It's got Entebbe, Embarara, Jinja, and really that's about it. Everything else is village and, you know, just out. So they don't have power. You've got 60 tribal languages in Uganda. English is technically the official language, but unless you go to school, you don't learn English. So if all the educational material is in English, even if you could get it, how would you learn to read it? Because you don't speak English. You speak Rincole or Luganda or whatever. Um, personally, home, they're probably working out in a field. They're shepherding cows or sheep. They're hoeing for corn. They're growing Matoke. They're doing all that stuff. They're, you know, children as young as four carry water for over a mile. They have little jerry cans, you know, you have a jerry can that's like 20 pounds. And then they have these little jerry cans and their four year olds go by themselves to the water, you know, a mile to get water from a gross contaminated puddle and bring it back. So if they don't go to school, they're not going to learn. They're not going to learn English. They're not going to learn to read and write. They probably are going to get all kinds, you know, diseases, childhood, mortality is huge. Um, many children, and I don't know the statistics right now, probably more in the lockdown don't make it past five. So, um, you know, then if they do go to school, they get two meals. So they may not get any meals at home, or maybe they only get one meal at home or a small meal at home. But if they go to school during the time they're in school, they actually are getting meals. So even if nothing else, they're not starving if they're in school.
0: Another thing I want to look at a little bit is, you know, we... Here in the, the first world, I guess, as you call it, I'm, I'm here in Mexico. I don't, I don't know how it's classified, but um, it's it's not that similar. This is, I mean, it's, it's fairly similar. The situation in Mexico City as it is, is in Los Angeles, honestly, like the lockdowns. Yes, they suck. And yes, they affect people's lives. Yes, they are horrible. But most people are kind of OK. We do have the Internet. A lot of people have moved their jobs online. You can still go to the market and get food. This is still a much different situation than how these lockdowns are used and how they are affected in the third, the the real third world. I don't know if Mexico is considered third world parts of it are whatever, but um, you know, in Africa and places like that, a lockdown is a totally different thing. It's not yes. where, oh, cool, we'll just sit down and collect our government paycheck for two months and order Uber Eats. So maybe e- either of you could we could probably take this, too, because I, I know Mikel knows a lot about this stuff. Um, how do lock? how does the situation with lockdowns affect those in a place like Uganda or, or Uganda specifically in this case in in a way they just, just don't affect people in, in a place like the United States or even here in Mexico City?
1: Well, in Uganda, um, so what they did when they closed the school, schools have been closed since March last year, 2020, 20, year before 2020, March 2020. They are hopefully opening soon. Um, what they did is if you were in an international school or a private school in Kampala, sure, you went online, you started doing stuff from the internet. What they told everybody else is we're going to do classes on the radio in English. Okay. So A, you have to have radio B that's, that's every class. So from, from primary one through secondary six, you had to figure out when your classes were and on what radio station you had to speak English. You had to have the materials and no, so none of that worked for anybody. I mean, nobody did that. Who was going to do that? Secondly, when they said lockdown, they meant lock down. The only vehicles that were allowed to run were lorries that were transporting food. That's it. In the whole country. You couldn't ride a bicycle. They killed more people for breaking the lockdown than died from COVID because of of COVID. And they confiscated people's bicycles. They beat a bump in the middle of the road. You stayed in your house, period, for months. It was very bad. It's still, it's still not fully unlocked. We're, but it's mostly now. All
0: right. Um, one, one more thing I want to discuss, and then we'll get into some of maybe the more specific projects that, that you guys have been working on. Um, but if you could just address kind of how a, a charity, like I've talked this to this with um, about this with Greg Lyer quite a bit as well, but how some of the problems with traditional charities, or maybe some of the larger charitable organizations like say like united way or unicef um not to knock those organizations i'm sure there's a lot of good work done within them but maybe you could address why and i know a lot of people like Mikhail, those are the kind of organizations that you would have been very skeptical of even even staking a sniff at uh previously and you know jennings organization here 1018 is is very different uh, than how those organizations are run so maybe you can just address like how where the money goes how the money gets through and how that's different than than when it's filtered through one of these you know larger uh, organizations like like I'm just saying United Way as an example because it's one I, one I know of but you know yeah. just generally speaking
1: when you have a big, I mean any big organization company church whatever has bureaucracy I mean you have to that's why schools have bells because you have to have some plan to get kids to another room um, we don't have any I, you're looking at the bureaucracy <laughs> Mikhail and me and a couple other <laughs> people. Um, what a
0: couple of stuffy bureaucrats we got here. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: until we started using Donor C, which does take a fee and that's fine because they promote us and stuff. We but at we use a one hundred percent of the money given to us for the programs. Everybody on this side of the ocean does everything we do for free. We So you personally a, take
0: nothing out of this nothing. at all?
1: No. And I'm a donor. So right. what a I mean it could be kind of silly to take something back out that I just put yeah, in. Yeah. Um, See, yeah, let regret, me
2: interrupt but, on that one as well sure, because yeah. I asked this question too. I was like, well, Jennings, you take a salary, right? She's like, no, I'm I tithe a large portion of my income every single year and have been doing it for 13, 14 years now. It would be ridiculous to take a salary of the money that you're already donating. Right. I don't take a salary. Even you can go and look up 1018 on the charity and and figure, like, we're very transparent about where everything goes. You'll see salary on there. That's not for Jennings. That's not for me. That's for mm-hmm. the security guard who watches the buildings in mm-hmm. our halfway house in Uganda. You know, we're actually providing jobs over there. Those are done by Ugandans, not by Westerners, not by anything like that. That's teachers for our literacy program. That's where that type of money goes.
1: And and we have angel donors, you know, you have to pay for a website, you have to pay for accounting software, but we have angel donors that pay specifically, we, they like pay that on their own cards. They, they don't even donate to pay it. They get an in-kind donation. So, you know, we literally, other than a credit card fee, if somebody chooses not to pay that or something, a hundred percent of the money goes. The other difference is if you give to the Red Cross, like this terrible tornadoes that just came through, Uh, you know, the Red Cross is there. Great. But if I give today, I don't know when my money is going to be used or if my $50 is going to somebody's salary or that truck or the gas or the, you know, the water. We have an average turnaround time of five days. Someone gives money to when it's used. Five. That's the average. Sometimes it's like that day. And sometimes, depending on the project, it might be a little longer because it takes us that long to get it coordinated and and paid for. Um, But we are literally basically just it just comes in goes right back out Mm -hmm. to a program.
0: All right, Kitty, time to take a quick break to tell you about our fantastic sponsors. These guys have been sponsoring us for so long. They help us continue to produce this program. They have helped us launch this new era. And those are our friends at I Trust Capital. These guys are the number one best place to invest in cryptocurrencies for your future. You can protect those gains, protect that growth by investing through their traditional IRA structure. And there is just no better place to buy cryptocurrencies to pay the lowest fees to get the most competitive rates. In fact, if you join right now through our affiliate link, they are waiving their monthly fees. You're not even going to pay monthly fees uh, for this service. So head over to slash Lions, Guys, if that all wasn't enough, I have something. Else for you. That's right. They're now going to give you, give you, give you one hundred dollars in Bitcoin when you sign up again using our link that is itrust.capital slash lions. Invest in your future, protect yourself, and don't let the tax man get a hold of them gains. Similarly, with Grett at Donor he also doesn't take a salary. You mentioned their fee there, and but their fee is a very small, and it only literally just goes to pay people to run this app that they use essentially yeah. and, and run the overhead. So, uh, all, all very impressive for all of you that, you know, the, the work you're doing probably could be justified as a full-time salary. And it probably is a full-time salary position that many of these, uh, larger organizations. Uh, so, I mean, look, I, I'm not denying people need to get paid maybe at some of these organizations to run them full-time, but let's just say I'm a lot more impressed by what you do. <laughs> by, well, by, and, uh, by- and
1: I'm, you know, we have four other businesses, So we're we're self-employed, we have four businesses, we have an income that we tithe off of. So I am fortunate that I don't have to do that. You know, I don't, I can, I can give my time and I understand that. And I don't have a problem with donor C taking their money or someone needing to do it as a job, but we just have never had to do that. And, and it's really important to me. I can't, I mean, I'm not going to take $50 when I know what $50 is going to do there.
0: Right. 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 For you, it's maybe a, a, an extra night out at a de- decent dinner or half of a decent dinner or something, but for someone else, right. it's changing their entire life.
1: Right. Right. right.
0: Um, so one thing I want to get into is, um, some of the more personal stories because I really want people to understand, you know, we can talk about in generalities how people are poor in generalities how people are having tough times there, but I think it really is and, and I think maybe more so for Miguel too, what, what pulled him into this was him hearing a lot of the first-hand stories um, about people that you're helping out and about a lot of the hardships that, that a lot of these young moms specifically have to go through there. Um, maybe, Miguel, maybe you can just take this one and uh, is there any story that stood out to you either specifically, you know, when you were first talking to Jennings on your interview, or maybe something that you got involved in very early on that has really, you know, something that's really affected you and really not only just tugged at your heart, but also shown you like how much you can easily help people with a very small amount of money in a place like this.
2: Yeah, I have a couple of stories. So I remember when I first interviewed you, Jennings, you were telling me a story about how we got so many teen moms and how they end up coming to the halfway house. Mm. And I remember you telling me it was like during the lockdowns, okay, they, they locked everybody down so much so that even if the girls did have a job or did have some way of earning any income, they could no longer go to their job. They couldn't get anything. So a lot of them lost where they were living and were literally sleeping on the streets. And from there, they started turning to prostitution. Now, prostitution is not necessarily what we would think on someone trading sex for money. A lot of this time was trading a night with a man for some rice or for a little piece of chicken or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, consequently, a lot of the girls ended up getting pregnant. Now, we're talking about 13, 14, 15, 16 year old girls getting pregnant, sleeping on the streets, no medical attention. And. I remember you telling me about a girl who approached the nun, uh, up the halfway house and she was sick with fever. The baby was so sick. The umbilical cord was still attached. She had given birth on the side of the road by herself. And she's just a kid. I mean, yeah. like that's it's it's something that's really hard for my mind to even fathom now keep in mind I've been traveling for 20 years straight I have seen some really wild things but that image in my head of you know walking up at the door with a sick baby delirious with fever and the umbilical cord still attached I mean that's like unbelievably rough like I don't even know what else to say after something like that
0: All right. um yeah me neither. I'm <laughs> literally me neither. I mean, the, like that that kind of stuff is just it's again, it's the kind of thing that we can't even wrap our heads around here, or like I say we am I, I mean, like maybe most people listening to this program, uh it's poverty has a whole different meaning in a place like this it It just yeah. it, it just can't even be related. um every the poorest person in the United States is not giving birth that way,
1: no. And and the problem with the lockdowns and so teen pregnancy has been an issue, especially in places we work. The Namwango slum that I've worked in, the very first building I rented was in Namwango, is Uganda's largest slum. And teen pregnancy has always been a problem because poverty is a problem, and if you're a girl and and we we call it formal or informal sex work. If you go live with a guy because he says I have a place and you don't have to stay on the street. And then he kicks you out as soon as you get pregnant. That is a form of prostitution that you are giving yourself solely to have a roof over your head. Um, So even before the lockdown, we were working with teen girls. But since the lockdown in some villages and the UN and the government have done some surveys, as many as two thirds of girls between 15 and 19 got pregnant during the lockdowns. Now they didn't even count anybody under fifteen. I have a fifteen-year-old right now in the program who's five months pregnant. We've had thirteen-year-olds come that you know that are pregnant. So they didn't even count fifteen. So you you know again, there's no parents. You've got Jajas and grandfathers. They, they can't work because of the lockdown. These people work in the what they call the informal economy. That's I'm hawking on the street. I'm making mendazi, you know, that you're coming to buy, you know, street food type thing. Um, I'm not going to a job at an office. I can't do this remotely. If I can't go on the street and sell you grilled maize, I can't make any money. And that's, they're, they're selling themselves for eight, one sanitary pad. One, sanitary pad, because they don't have any, they don't have any way to do anything. So our program from the start, and we are going to be adding pregnant girls next year. We haven't had the room. We've been dealing with teen moms and up with vocational skills, but our, our primary focus is to change the culture where this is okay where it's okay for a guy who knows that you need sanitary pads to go buy them and bring them to you and make you give sex for them. That's not okay. So, you know, we're working on the ground with the girls, but we're also, we do workshops and educational talks for the boys too, to say, this is not okay. You have to honor, you know, women and respect them. And this is not what you want your daughters to go through.
0: So, so is this kind of stuff not I don't want to say seen as okay, but maybe it kind of is. I mean, is it just such a different culture that maybe the idea of whether it's okay or not, isn't even a question. It just is, it's just, this is no. our life. This is how it's hard not things okay, are.
1: Cause it's right. not out there. Mm-hmm. It's just the, there is.
0: But I mean, is it well known that this kind of stuff happens to the general population or is it just like, there's not that much awareness about it?
1: No. I mean, and, and the boy, a lot of the men and boys are coming from outside of the slum to bring chicken and chips and pizza and, and so they really are preying
0: on the people that are in this situation. They're not necessarily part of that situation themselves. Mm.
1: Now there has been in in Uganda, like all of Africa and a lot of Asian countries, child bride practices have been a problem is technically outlawed. You can't get married under 16. Technically the bride price has been outlawed, but what happened especially in the first lockdown is a lot of girls got sold into marriage and these are never legal marriages either and it's always some old dude um so they got sold bride price and the only thing that that making the bride price illegal means is they give it as a gift now so it can't be given back if the girl returns home instead of having to give it back if the girl returns home they still get the money they still get rid of the girl i mean people were killing their children because they couldn't feed them so they're selling them. They're, you know, we work with a school in a very remote village, and I think we had seven girls that got married. That school only goes to primary seven, that's the equivalent of eighth grade in the US. And we had seven girls given for brides during the first lockdown.
0: And then, so when a girl like that is given as a bride, uh- Like what happens to them then? Are they, are they essentially just like slaves to some, some old man at that point?
1: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're almost always abused. Um, They get pregnant very young. So there's all, and rarely are they getting any sort of prenatal medical care They're They may have a midwife or something. Um, They have a a lot of girls that young having babies have problems anyway, because their body's just not ready. Um, but if they get, um, they fistula, I won't go into it here, but you can look it up. It's a big problem in a lot of rural African countries. It's a, a problem you get post if you, if things don't get fixed after you have a baby, I guess. Um, and then if they don't have kids, the guy sends them back. If he doesn't like them after they have kids, he sends them back. If he doesn't like the kids, he sends them all back, you know, cause polygamy is legal. So I, a pastor friend of mine's wife's father had five wives and she has something like 92 siblings. Oh God. So, you know, it's that part is cultural. The, the child bride thing is cultural. This prostitution thing is just desperation. That's what, you know, that's what. It
0: is. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I guess some of those things are maybe easier to, change or help in the short term you might might be able to help someone get out of a a specific situation but changing an entire culture where this is just what's done that that is a little bit more of a challenge i would imagine
1: well and that's why we don't just work with the girls we work with the girls on their value on their um you know on their options we were working on this holistic vocational education thing where they are learning a skill that they can have their own business or get a job or something on their own and support their family. We're talking, we do a lot of mentoring and counseling. We have strong minds. We have, um, turning point, we have teen talk, we have people come in, we are working with the girls on their value knowing that they are worth more than a sanitary pad, that this is something that you don't just give away, um, while not guilting them, because I mean, you're desperate, you're desperate. But we also then are bringing in boys. And we have a lot of young men in their 20s who are really they have sisters. And you know, Ronald, who's our uh, managing director there, his mom had him when she was 14. She's our house mother. These are, you know, we have people involved who have been their mothers or their sisters or whatever have had this and they, they don't want it to continue. So it's great to have guys involved saying to these guys, Hey, this is wrong. I mean, we have a guy that got AIDS from, from doing what I said, came down with something, bribed this girl into sex. And then he ended up with AIDS and he's come and talk to them, to the boys and said, look, I came down here for a good time. Cause I only cost me chicken and chips. And now I have eight for the rest of my life, you know? So it's slow, of course, probably not going to be in my lifetime, but we're working on it.
0: Gotcha. Oh, this is, this is heavy stuff. Um, <laughs> For sure. And um, but, you know, one reason I wanted to bring you guys on here to start the kind of start the new year on on more of a positive note. And I I know this can feel like really heavy, negative stuff, but the work you guys are doing is incredibly positive. So maybe we can focus on some of the success stories now. Uh, Some of the people that you have gone in there and worked. And I think I'd I'd like to really emphasize as well, like the cost because i think it's it can be very difficult for people in, in the first world to wrap their heads around how far even like two of their dollars can go to help some of these people
1: and well let me jump in on this interview. one first yeah, yeah, because sure.
2: so jennings and i were sitting on a board meeting and, and with ronald and we were discussing what kind of larger projects we could do and we threw out a lot of different ideas and what what were the things that were going to have a big impact and we decided, well, we decided on a bunch of different projects. But one of the ones that really struck me and, and really was important to me was a literacy program. I had a lot of trouble learning how to read and write. When I was a child, I'm dyslexic. And um, and I decided I wanted to put something together. So we decided we were going to do this, this literacy program. We flushed out all of the ideas. And I offered it just to my subscribers at Expat Money. And we ended up funding it in pretty much a day or in a couple of days and what we put together is we're taking 60 girls 60 teen mothers who don't know how to read and write and putting them through an entire literacy program so teaching them how to read to write and basic arithmetic the the money that we raised we've actually raised over six thousand dollars our goal was six thousand we we smoked that goal (laughs) very fast um, due to the amazing generosity of my subscribers but this money goes so far it pays for an entire year's salary for a teacher the program itself the, the training material itself all the books the furniture the rent for the place the money for the power the carpet the desks the pens the paper everything like this to take 60 girls from nothing to being able to read and write and what does this mean what what does that concretely mean well Not only are they going to be able to read and write so be able to make a positive difference in their life, they're going to be able to take hold of their own education and train themselves on valuable skills so that they become more valuable in the marketplace and can get better jobs or be an entrepreneur and create something from scratch. But more than that, they're going to now be able to teach their children. When the children are growing up, how to read and write, they're going to be able to teach the other girls at the halfway house or in their community, in their neighbors, all of these other girls. So this this group of sixty is a seed, which is going to be able to assist so many people in the community, which is amazing for me to think about. You know, I think that that is just such a gift because I really can't imagine not being able to read. Like I, I would find that at this point in my life so debilitating to anything that i want to do it's something that we just absolutely take for granted but it is just such a core thing that makes us human it's i I can't stress the importance of literacy and it's going to be really exciting this year to watch how this unfolds and the response that we get we've already seen a whole bunch of videos from the girls who were so excited to be able to partake in this you know we're getting everything ready right now I mean, for me, I think this is a really special program.
1: Yeah. And, and I want to say a funny story about that meeting because we were talking, he goes, well, you, you're trying to fund this daycare. Why don't we do the daycare? And I was like, the day, we, we're doing a daycare for these teen girls, moms while they're in class and stuff. And, I, and he's like, yeah, we could do that. I'm like, it's $400. Yeah. <laughs> this is not the big project. I mean, it's $400. Mm-hmm. We can do a daycare, like a daycare for $400. So, like what does that
0: what does that mean? What does the $400 do? Does it just set up body, the daycare?
1: Set up it in we we have a compound and so everything's within the compound but we'll have um staff, you know, we have staff and volunteers, we'll have toys, we'll have books, we'll have um cribs, we'll have, you know, this a safe place for them to be cuz these moms come and they do a half-day class and so there are pictures on our social media of these moms with babies tied to their front and back doing hairdressing class or tailoring class, feeding babies while they're doing tailoring or something. And so what we want is for them to be able to drop the kids, do the not literally
0: drop them, but but
1: pay attention (laughs) to what's going on in the class, of course, and not be feeding babies and all that stuff. And um, then come back and, and get them. And, so you know, four hundred dollars. <laughs> it was just funny because he his face was like, "Wait, what? Four hundred dollars?
0: Why are we, so, we even no, talking okay, about it? We're going to okay. build
2: a daycare. Like, come on, this will be a huge project. Oh, <laughs> right. really? All right, wow. over the next three okay. years, we'll slowly I'll, raise. I'll, the I'll money fund that one. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'll, yeah, like exactly. that gets funds in seconds. Yeah pretty well
0: yeah i mean that's just another great example of how it it is so hard for us to wrap our heads around how far our money like this can go in a place like this um one thing i want to go back and emphasize too and maybe you guys can both speak on this a little bit you know like we discussed you know jennings you don't take any salary from this that would be silly you put money into it same with you mikhail you don't take a salary from being on the board you put money into this um I think a big part that, and this has been a big part of my message here on, on lines to liberty in the in the past year, year and a half specifically. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there, especially in the libertarian movement, they want to help everybody. They actually have like huge hearts, and they really want to help people out. And I think that's an amazing thing, and that's why I'm doing a show like this to find some of those people and mm-hmm. get more money to these projects where this money can go so far. Um, but at the same time, I think this really does highlight how putting yourself. And becoming an entrepreneur being someone who's independent um, can put you in a position to help others so much more. Like Jennings, right. you are able to run this organization uh, and not take money, not just not take money for a fair salary, but put uh, like a, lo- a decent amount of your salary that you do earn into that organization. You could only do that because you first put yourself in a in a good situation yourself. Same with you, Mikhail. Uh, You're able to scoff at 400 bucks for a daycare, but that's because you have put yourself in a situation where, you know, that's, that's absolutely nothing. To you. So I I know this is, and and I, I think this is not just a message that I want to deliver to libertarians here, but this is also maybe on a smaller level part of what you guys are doing in Uganda. You're trying to help people that are to help themselves be set up better so that they can then carry on the torch and help people as well. So maybe that's on a smaller scale. Maybe you're not getting these people to making like like six-figure salaries or anything like that, but you don't need a six-figure salary to help people in Uganda. You 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 need a lot less than that. So maybe you both could um, emphasize a little bit how how some of these projects help people, not just in the short term, uh, not even just as much as just building a daycare for the day, but turning some of these people into entrepreneurs so they can actually to become the leaders in their communities and become the people that are, that are out there helping others to the point that maybe they don't even, I mean, not hopefully you guys are, are I'm sure you guys will always find a use, but maybe someday they don't even need a 1018 to be there doing all this right. work because, because maybe they're doing it themselves.
1: Well, so we have a program called skills for life. It's a vocational school right now. We, we do hairdressing and tailoring. So we are third term. We started in January last year, uh, got interrupted with the lockdown whatever, but we're about to finish up our third term. Um, And so first of all, Uganda is actually the most entrepreneurial country in the world. On top of having the youngest population, it's the most entrepreneurial country in the whole world, according to all the statistics. Um, So what we are doing is teaching skills, hairdressing and tailoring that are high dollar income skills for You know, you can work in a salon or you can do hair at your home. You can um, go get a job somewhere like in a factory or something, or you can take in making school uniforms and Gomeza and, you know, doing repairs and things like that. Our whole thing uh, my dad was uh, self employed, my grandfather was self employed, my husband and I have always been self employed. We are big on entrepreneurship um, and sort of charting your own. Destiny a bit. So these programs are to so that they can create a sustainable income for themselves and their family. I'm not planning to, nor have I ever done in any of my work in Uganda, given people money to do nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody was in a crisis, we might pay their rent for a couple months so they get on their feet. But we've done micro business grants, we've done business training, we've done all of it is so that they can go on and do it themselves and teach their kids and you know tell their neighbors. Now, we could rent an entire city block building 10 stories high, fill it up and not meet the need. There's 30,000 people in Namwango and it's huge. But we are chipping away 20, 20 students at a time in Skills for Life. Right now, we're adding the computer literacy, which also opens up job opportunities for people. Sure. Um reading and writing, obviously, even just knowing English is a big thing. Like when we looked in Nicaragua, most Nicaraguans don't speak English. So we hired we hired people that spoke English because most of our guests were not Nicaraguan. They weren't from the Latin American countries. Uh, so that's a skill too, to be able to work in hospitality or something like that. Just knowing English is big. Uh, So our our whole goal is that they don't need us anymore. They might want to come to say hi, but they don't need (laughs) us anymore.
0: And Mikhail, maybe you could emphasize um, more of the entrepreneurial aspect and and what you bring to the table as far as that goes, because that has been not just your message for twenty years; it's been your life for twenty years. Uh, I don't even know when. When was the last time you had a regular job? Maybe 15, fifteen years ago,
2: something like that. It's been a while. Let's just say that. Well, I think these are also some of the main reasons that I decided to get involved in Ten Eighteen. Because, yes, we we covered a lot of the terrible things that are happening in Uganda, but specifically this nonprofit. Was very special for me, number one, because it is based on entrepreneurship. We're not creating dependence here. Actually, we're trying to create independence. We want people to be able to stand on their own two feet. So that came through in the messaging when I first speak, spoke with Jennings and on every single meeting that we've taken together since. Entrepreneurship is at the core of the values. The other big thing, and, and certainly applicable on today's show, is I'm very libertarian. And I hope, Jennings, you don't mind me saying, She's libertarian as well, so oh yeah, you know, we, can, uh, we can we can all come out of the closet on this show. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're in a safe place. Well, <laughs> it's like I, I never want to uh, you know presume for anyone else on what they will uh, say about their their ideologies, but I I know that you know both of us are very very libertarian. Yeah, don't worry, folks, you're not
0: nope. sending money to some commie or anything like that.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's enough of those. Might be important to emphasize. There's enough actually, of those organizations around the world, so right. Um, so those are two of the big things that really stood out for me, as well as what we talked about after or earlier. Um, I really do think that entrepreneurship is the greatest thing in the world because entrepreneurs, what we are meant to do or, or at our core of our being is solve problems. I mean, that's that's what we do. So we're, we're literally out there looking for ways that we can help people all day long. And it's a it's an amazing gift to be able to give. It's an amazing skill to, to develop. And having people at the core of the organization who are entrepreneurs and then teach these values and these skills to the girls as they're going through the program is cannot be understated. I mean, this is a, this is a huge thing. And hopefully, uh, as the nonprofit grows, we're going to be able to add additional skills. You know, we want, We've talked about you know basic accounting courses and how to keep the books, financial things, things like this, so that as the girls go, they can grow and progress, just like we're doing with the literacy program. We've completely funded our literacy program, how to read and write. But our next step or our 2.0 is our computer classroom so teaching basic computer skills we need to first of all get the classroom and the teacher and the equipment but there's so many reasons to have this this is not just so that they can go out there and play candy crush or or screw around <laughs> on the internet it's so that they can apply for jobs i mean since right. the lockdowns all of the jobs have gone from print format to being posted online so if you even don't national id computer,
1: stuff yeah
2: it's all done online so what are you going to uh, how- do then if you don't have access to this
0: how is the internet situation there? Like, I, cause I'm just thinking like, okay, if, if these people are learning to read, learning to write, learning communication skills, uh, learn to use computers at some point, if they have a good enough connection, they could be just as eligible for a lot of remote jobs out there as you know, any of us that were raised in the first world with all these skills.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say in Kampala and, or in, in the cities act, it's, it's, Nicaragua was, I mean, it's a lot slower than, than I'm streaming right here with my fiber connection. Um, but most of the time it mostly works, which is pretty much (laughs) what Nicaragua was That's about the most
0: I can hope for here in Mexico. So that, that sounds like a win to me. (laughs)
1: Um, now a lot of it depends on the power because like I was in Uganda for three and a half weeks on one trip and we had power for four days of the three and a half weeks. No. Well, so my phone internet would work if I was somewhere to pick it up, but there was no internet because there was no power. So, you know, like any developing country, it's interconnected mediocrity. All right. That's what it is. <laughs>
0: Uh, one thing I'm wondering, I mean, you, uh, you know, Mikel, you're in Panama, Jennings, you're in the US right now. And uh, obviously, anyone can just send money to the organization. But I, like, is this the kind of thing someone could be listening right now and be like, I got nothing to do next year? Um, can I go to Uganda? Like, can people come and help on the ground with this stuff? Or is it, um, yeah. is it mostly locals that are that are running? things?"
1: No, so I work with and this is this is one of my main core philosophies, because I have watched Western organizations go to countries and tell people what they need my whole life. And I will tell you that 100% of the time they're wrong (laughs) because what they think that they need is not what the locals will tell you that they need. Hmm. So we only were, here's a cell phone,
0: but I need, I need a sandwich. (laughs)
1: Literally. I have watched people paint people's houses that didn't, they didn't ask if they wanted their house painted or if that was, I mean, it's amazing to sit and listen. I'm there a lot by myself now that my kids are adults. And so I sit and listen to groups that are there and we're all here to happy help people. And then you're just like, what are you doing? I mean, you know, you just, uh, anyway, we're not that. So we work with Ugandan. Um, I Ronald, who's our managing director there, they, we have a, a Ugandan community organization called guardian angel foundation, touch the slum. So it's a, we're one organization, but that's our organization. There, that's Ugandan. Michael will tell you Ronald is awesome. He is on it. He's, He's very so administrative. Sweet. He's very energetic. Like I said, his mom had him at fourteen. He has a sister who had a, uh, got into this informal prostitution and had her first child at sixteen. He is very passionate about it. Um, and I mean, we have I was, another.
0: I was just say, I think that's wonderful. Like who who better to speak on this and do this stuff, even us all here, we feel sympathy for the situation. Congrats. We un- we do our best to understand it. We want to help, but we could never relate to the people that have actually been through this. No.
2: So yeah, even the programs that we're doing, like the literacy program and the skills for life, all of these ones that we've been talking about today, we didn't invent them. Like Jennings went out there and asked the community, what were the things that they needed? How can we best support you? You know, we didn't, we didn't make this up and say, Hey, this is what you need. No, we asked them. They told us now we've figured out ways to put these things into place and to support them and to fund them and everything that we're doing, we're doing it in lockstep with the local people there that shows respect.
1: And and they love to have people come help. There was just a group of German nurses there that was working with Amani, which is where right now our pregnant girls go for help they get them prenatal care and, and set them up for birth and all that stuff. And so we had a gr- group of German nurses came and they talked to all the girls during the team talk about sexual health and just overall health and hygiene and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we, we have a lot, even just going and having fun. We are big on fun which is not also a normal charitable organization thing. Um, you know, just- Fun and, always helps. I does. No matter
0: what you're doing. Well,
1: Dancing tell them about the graduation. Food. Yeah, we just had graduation. Um, so the the second terms of skills for life was delayed graduating because of the second lockdown that happened in June, 2021. And so they finally got to graduate. And I mean, we had caps and gowns, and dancing, and music, and cake. We had to have four cakes. Apparently, <laughs> two cakes wasn't gonna do it. Four cakes, and balloons, and I mean, we just—you know—have you to make it fun. You have to. Ma- Life is about more than just surviving, no matter where you are and what you're doing. You know, you have to make it worth surviving for.
0: Some of the most fun loving people I have ever met in my life were some of the poorest people I've ever met in my life in my travels, for sure. Yeah, so. <laughs> for sure. Um. So, yeah, if you guys could just as we wrap up here, um, just maybe let everyone know how they can. Obviously, they can go to ten I think it's 1018.org uh, just to donate. But I think you guys also have a dedicated link highlighting a few projects you guys are, are working on right now. So I'll let uh, either of you guys take it away and just kind of give each of your final pitches for um, why people should check this out. Because, you know, I don't do a lot of shows on charities. Uh, when I do, they probably have some things in common. They're probably run by people that are liberty minded uh, and they're probably doing things differently than traditional charities they're not just showing up, uh, dumping some money down and taking off and saying, all right, we fixed we fixed the situation. So uh, I'll let uh, either of you take the final word. We'll, why don't we start with you, Mikkel, and then we'll let, we'll let Jennings let cool. things
1: out.
2: Okay. Um, I hope that you guys do get involved. I think this is a really special project, and I'm very passionate about it, and I know that Jennings is as well. Jennings is an angel. I mean, you guys will never know and understand the work that she's done on this and how many people she's helped. Jennings is my hero like seriously every time I speak to her I'm just so amazed and blown away that I had to get involved so I really do hope that you guys enjoyed this episode Um, you know we've tried to be as upfront and honest even though you know there's it's not a really pretty situation but um, if you guys do want to get involved, if you guys go to 1018, it's 1018, all written out, .org forward slash lions. We're going to have some special stuff there for you guys, different projects that we're working on. And yeah, thanks so much, Mark. I really appreciate you guys having us on.
1: JT,
0: Mikhail Jennings, take it away.
1: Yeah. And if you want to see our work, I post on social media all the time. We We post hard things, and we post fun things, and we do a lot of dancing videos and adorable children. And we really want to show you, whether you're looking on social media, listening to us here, or going with us to Uganda, all of Uganda, not just the bad part. I think most charities tend to fall on the side of Africa is so dark and, and terrible. And look at all that. Africa is wonderful. and. We want you to know all of it, the wonderful things, making it worthwhile helping the people in the terrible situation. So I hope that we have at least accomplished that.
0: I would say you have, but but that we'll leave that to the listener. But thank you guys so much for coming on uh, and talking about this. Uh, This is the kind of stuff I really want to emphasize uh, as we're into a new year here. Um, You know, ways that you know the philosophy is wonderful; it's beautiful, um, but we can only talk about it so much. At some point, action needs to be taken, and uh, whether action is entrepreneurship to put yourself in a better situation or finding organizations like this where you can really help people, not just. Give them, you know, a sandwich for the day, but you know, hopefully teach them, you know, the the ways that they can start making their own sandwiches. It's a little take on the the fishing Fish. analogy from back at but Mark. it's good. <laughs>
1: thank,
0: thank you guys so much. Keep up the great work. <laughs> I know you. you will keep on roaring. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right, kitties. Well, that wraps it up, and that wraps up. Lions of Liberty 1.0, I guess we'll call it. We shall see. But uh do want to, of course, encourage you, if you like hearing my voice, you might want to subscribe to the Lions of Liberty with Mark Clare. That is my solo feed where you will find this show every week. And you'll also find some other things like I'm repurposing a lot of audio from other interviews I've been on. So last week, uh, I published an interview I did uh, with my buddy Lance Psycho over on Inside the Firm on his Monday morning coffee podcast. And that one we talked a lot about um, actually but more about my career, about entrepreneurship, <laughs> About my foray into becoming an entrepreneur and all sorts of stuff like that. I did, of course, talk a little bit about podcasting and libertarianism and and that sort of thing. Uh, but a little bit of a different kind of interview. So that that's the kind of thing that I'm posting over there in the Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire feed. So check that out. Just look up Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire on your favorite podcatcher. You'll find this show every single Monday, and you'll find some other stuff that uh, that I repurpose from other podcasts. And and who else? Who knows? Who knows what other kind of surprises you might get? But if you like hearing me. That's what you want to go do. I also want to tell you about some other friends of ours. That is my friends, Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty. These guys have been fans, friends, and patrons of the show for a couple years now. And there really is no better daily spot for Liberty type news than Good Morning Liberty, because they really do break down the news uh, by filtering it through those ideas of Liberty. Tom Woods is crushing it with five interviews a week. But if you're looking for a daily news show, Good Morning Liberty, you just can't top it. So check out Good Morning Liberty. You can find them on any podcatcher or of course their are always amazing url which is still working bernie you gotta check them out that's all i've got this week my friends i will see you next week i'm gonna be in a new location i'm gonna be living on the beach in playa del carmen mexico and you will be here for a brand new era of lions of liberty i'm looking forward to it until then until next time live and live free